It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports commentator editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week we talk about sports topics of local interest. we got a national topic or two on occasion. We have a gambling segment. We have a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic, literally any topic. Go to the Twitters. Hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick has somehow made that a thing, and Rick compiles the questions. We may not get to your question every week, but we'll eventually, hopefully, get to your question at some point. Rick is just returning from a trip to Florida in Boca Raton as he returns back to the bomb cyclone. We're recording this late on a Thursday night. Normally, we do this either on a Wednesday or a Thursday morning, but Rick had some travel issues and uh, uh, came back to this craziness. And I will ask you, because I heard your segment with Mo Egger, Literally yesterday at about, eh, not, not 24 hours ago, but maybe 30 hours ago. And you said you were sitting in, sitting outside in shorts and, and a t-shirt. And guess what, buddy? You best bundle up now. I'm not really sure why I came back, quite honest. Exactly. I mean, skinny, each of the last two nights, I was at a open air, half indoor, half outdoor Hooters. And and to be quite honest, the name was a bit misleading, given the GM's proclivities. It might, may have should have been called Cheeks in this case. But either <laughs> way... Um, that, you know, I was drinking margaritas, having beers. It was beautiful, 75 degrees, nice breeze coming through. And then I, I came back to Northern Kentucky for reasons unbeknownst to me. Yeah, it's funny. When I covered the Southeastern Conference, when I covered Kentucky um, football and basketball, uh, there'd be trips where I would go to a, to a you know, an Auburn or to a you know, to an Athens, Georgia, uh, to a Florida, although Florida was usually the last game of the year. Um, and even then, sometimes you'd come back, you'd, you'd be in 67 degree, 75 degree weather, come back to eight degree weather. And it was ridiculous. Like, wh- why am I coming back? What's the point of this? Yeah. Had it not been the holidays, I might've just taken yeah. an extended vacation down there, Good but call. all right, let's get into some Bengals talk. The Bengals won an absurd game 34 to 23 over the Buccaneers on Sunday after trailing 17 to nothing to start the game. Bengals scored 34 straight points in that win. And they now have sole possession of first place in the AFC North after the Ravens lost 13 to three in Cleveland. Cincinnati is sitting at 10 and four and Baltimore at nine and five. So skinny with three weeks left in the NFL season. Do you like the Bengals chances of winning the division? I do. Um, and I didn't, I'm going to lose a bet to Mo Egger, our friend on that, because I, I, you know, three or four weeks ago, I, I didn't think that was the case just because Baltimore's schedule. Now Lamar getting hurt has certainly affected that, but the Bengals um, have done what they need to do, which is continue to win. I think you and I had talked at the buy of, Hey, go five and three, get to 10 and seven. And now it's more, no, let's see if you can get this to the one seed because you have a legitimate chance to get to the one seed. Now you need a little help from Kansas City losing. You control your own destiny with, with, uh, with Buffalo. But yeah, I mean, at this point, get there because you have a legit chance to get there the way you're playing. You mentioned Lamar Jackson. He's going to miss his third straight game this week with a knee strain, it sounds like, according to multiple reports. And also the schedules you talked about. Baltimore's schedule coming up are the final three games. They host the Falcons, they host the Steelers, and then they come to Cincinnati to play the Bengals. Right. While the Bengals go to the Patriots, they host the Bills, and they host the Ravens. Without Lamar Jackson, it makes it a lot more iffy what happens down the stretch here for Baltimore. But let's say he comes back and plays the final three games and he's at full strength. Well, he's not he's not playing this week, so it'd be the final two games. Yeah, good point. So let's say he comes back and plays the Steelers and the Bengals game. I think they can still win the Falcons game without him, although 
It's yeah. questionable. Everything's yeah, in play without him. Yeah, at home they can. I mean, it's Des Ritter, and I love Des, and I hope he does well, but it's his second career start, his second on the road. I mean, it's right. a big ask. But nothing's a guarantee with that team with right. Huntley back. That's right. That's right. And, and so, but let's, I, but let's just say they win that one. I think there's a pretty good chance that both teams end up going two and one in the final three games, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and, and so I think they end up getting the, divi- the, the, the division, which will be huge. Um, I, I think, though, the big prize out there is is the one seed, and it's not far-fetched. Kansas City does have two very winnable home games, but they got to play at Vegas the last week of the year. Now, Vegas has to play the Raiders, or excuse me, the Steelers this week. That probably squelches if they lose their playoff hopes, but if they win, then they may be playing for a playoff berth. Um, in that last week of the season. So there's a lot still on the table where all this is concerned. Yeah, prior to that Raiders game, they host the Seahawks this week on New Year's Eve and then the Broncos the following week on New Year's Day. So those are two wins. But, I mean, in theory they are, but we just watched them go slop it up against the Texans. True. Now, I mean, I don't feel great about the chances of uh, the the Chiefs losing, I wouldn't say. but, But, I mean, there is... Like we talked about, there is a very good chance that the Bengals win the division, and there's still an outside chance that they could get the number one overall seed. And if worse, if not, they get the two seed, and then you stay away from Kansas City until the AFC Championship game again. Not a bad place to be in. Unless I check, they just beat Kansas City last year in Kansas City, right? Yes? Oh, I yeah. believe they've beaten them a few times over the last well, they've three, They've beaten three straight times overall, but the last two or the last game they played in Kansas City, they did win. So, um, yeah, I, I think you'd be optimistic. Skinny, I've got another question to ask you going back to last week's game. A video of a former Bengal went viral following the Bengals' win over the Bucs on Sunday. It came from an ESPN reporter who was inside the Bucs locker room where a few different media members were hounding Giovanni Bernard for an interview after he was involved with that botched fake punt in the third quarter that started the Bengals' comeback. We talked a lot about that on Sunday night's podcast. You can check that out on the same podcast feed. What was your take on the Giovanni Bernard video inside the Bucs locker room? Yeah, okay, so there's a couple of things from this. Um, I know the reporter, Jenna Lane, has gotten a lot of blowback, and, and she's not helped herself by arguing with people on Twitter about all of this. Um, the aggressive line of questioning is not out of line. Um, it was a big play in the game, and Gio's a pro enough and a long-time pro enough to know, just stand there and answer a couple of questions and be done with it. Now, that said, I don't think she should have posted the video of it. No one needs to know behind the scenes. I know sometimes you want to and go – you know what? My job's hard. It's harder than you think it is. It's not just sitting in the press box, eating press box food. Some of this stuff is grimy and it's hard. So I do get some of that, but I don't think she should have posted that. At the same time, like I said, Gio, when he was here, was a pro, and he, but he was a prickly pro. He was a guy that, you know, when he wanted to talk and he wanted to do stuff with you, he was great. And when he didn't, you just you normally just shrug it off. I'm a big shrug it off guy. If I come up to you and go, hey, you got a minute? And you go, nope. You go, okay, fine. I'll go to somewhere else. I have no problem with that. Right. After a game, though, the one thing I would tell you, Rick, especially in a key play like that, and as long as he's been in this league, just answer the questions. It's not that hard. Um, I don't think he was at fault. I, I from, from some things I gather, the Bengals picked up some intelligence of him being in the up-back position. Um, they started screaming some stuff at the line of scrimmage to where he call, he tried to call it off, and apparently – um, the, the long snapper or somebody else who was doing the, what didn't hear it, didn't know it. And that's why he looked confused, even though the snap was a terrible snap. But, um, you know, even if, even if he knew it was going to be a fake, it was still a bad snap, but 
he tried to call it off from what I understand. And so I'm sure he's trying not to roll people under the bus, but you can still be a pro and answer a question. So it, there was no winners in this. I didn't think Gio looked good. And I certainly didn't think Jenna Lane and some of the reporters looked very good. Her especially, um, you know, posting that video. She did not look good. Well, and, and what is the upside to posting the video? Because like, I think in her mind, she thought it was going to make her look good and make Gio look bad. But if you read the blowback, everyone was like, oh. leave the guy alone. What are you doing? No. This is weird. You guys are weird. Uh, and and here's where, where I think it comes down to. There's a disconnect between how important sports journalists think the work they're doing is and what the rest of the right. world actually cares about and values. Yeah. Like hounding a player yeah. over a question about a bad play isn't the same thing as holding politicians accountable. You're not speaking truth to power in that situation. And when like all the reporters are like, oh, we got to ask that tough question. It's like, I mean, sure, you should if you got the opportunity to. But like no one really cares that much to find out whose fault it was or what Geo thought on that play. Either way, it was a botched fake punt. Things happen over the course of a game. Yeah, uh, the only thing I'll disagree with you is is he all. Uh, I'll go back to him. He he also has been in this game long enough to know. Sure, I, I need to be a pro and stand there and at least answer a couple of these questions. It, and that's a separate conversation it, it, to me. Correct, correct. What he did. But like I said, I don't. I don't. That's why I don't shoot video. I don't care, dude. I'm too old to do that. I, I can do it. I know how to do it. I just don't care enough to do it. I know a lot of people do it and it gets reaction. I just don't care enough to do it, to be quite frank. You know, you know I, I, I've got my job to do. I don't need everybody to see what job I'm doing. And boy, you're asking the tough question. No, I don't care about that stuff. I really don't. Um, I can ask a tough question. Trust me. I've done it a thousand times in my career. I've done it, um, you know, not in a press conference setting. I've done it at lockers. I've done it with people. I, I it, dude, it is what it is, but, um, he's been around this game long enough to know, just stand there and answer it. Um, it, it you know, that, that's all they wanted to know was, is the mechanics of what took place. Cause it was a pivotal play in the game. And the thing is, I think players, the one thing I will say, Rick is I think sometimes players think that when you're asking this, you're pointing the finger of blame at them and you're not, you just want the explanation. So you can tell the public, okay, here's what happened. They called a fake punt. Geo saw this and he tried to call it off. And this is why it went like this. Well, to his credit, he didn't roll his long snap under the bus, and he didn't have to at that point. He could have also said, listen, I tried to call it off. I called an audible. I don't think he heard it, and it is, you know, I the snap I should have caught. And he said the right – I mean, he tried to say the right things. He really didn't oh, say no, he, no, he he drove the salt truck supreme on yes. this. He was totally yeah. salty about it and wouldn't say a word, which is what you're going to get after you have that initial yes. interaction has, with him and act the way you did. I mean, yeah. the stuff about, well, you've been injured all year. There's been no reason to talk to you type of stuff. It's like – Oh, relax, guy. Okay, just calm down, no, harder some, reporter. There, there, there is some truth to that. Too, sure, but like, I've, say I've it the way they were. Me, was pretty... to me. Yeah, I've had players tell me, "I oh, haven't talked to me all year." It's like, dude, I haven't seen you for eight weeks because you were on injured reserve. What did you want me to do? We're not allowed to talk to you, Chief. So just relax on that. But no, and I, then they have you haven't done anything to talk to you for. Is kind of like, a, yeah, that was bad. That yeah, was bad. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it's just a bad interaction, and you're acting weird. Like, just talk to people normally. Like, why are you guys sounding so whiny as you're chasing him down, hounding him for this interview? Now, on Geo's side, he did two things that that are kind of embarrassing. One, that the, the answers were salty, which is fine. Yes. It's what you're yes. going to get out of him. But the other card that I do not like him playing at all is the family card. Can right. I go talk to my family? Yes. Come on, guy. Like, we all know your family is waiting out there. It's the same thing after yeah. every game. Correct. Don't, like. Don't use that card, even if it's the truth. Just yeah, no, and that's the thing. I mean, it, they probably are waiting, but we're not like 
45 minutes to two hours after the game, Chief. You're It's after the game. I know you've dressed and showered and all those things, and that's probably why what took so long is everybody gave him some space. That's the other part. They gave enough space to to not get him right after the game, to let him go shower, let him come back, let him get dressed. At that point, just, I mean, honestly, it wasn't like, it wasn't like he killed somebody either to where he's like trying to duck that. Dude, you, you had a botch fake punt. Just explain the situation as best you can. You can not, you can do that not rolling people under the bus and move forward. It was, it was the weirdest thing ever. And like I said, she didn't help herself by anything she did with posting the video and then doubling down on Twitter. Yeah, she looks much worse than this than he does. And yeah. by the way, she didn't correctly predict the way public opinion was going to go on this no, because right. she totally thought it was going to make him look bad and her look good. And, and that wasn't how it went at all. I just I think there's way too much of this type of behavior from journalists. And we have a couple of them in Cincinnati that have done some weird stuff like this where they get into it with people and stuff. And, and that happens over the course of the time. I don't have an issue with that, like a, a little bit of back and forth between people that are working in a kind of weird relationship all year. You're not adversaries necessarily, but there are times where it's it's not the best relationship or the easiest relationship to get along with with people when they're writing things about you that you don't want them to write. So I get that some of these things happen, but this was just a, a, a situation where the reporters end up kind of looking like weirdos and, yeah. and living up to a lot of stereotypes, I think. Yeah, I mean, dude, I, you know, I've told my Carl Pickens story on this podcast before where he said, I, you know, you got a minute. Yeah. And he started counting it down. And I just told him to go blank himself and walked away and everybody laughed because they were surprised that I stood up to him. And, you know, I've, I've had some adversarial things with Adam Jones, like we all have. And, you know, he was in the locker room three months ago and he comes up and goes, man, good to see you. And hugs me. It, it is a weird relate. It really truly is, dude. It's the, you and you, you do it. It's a weird relationship. It just is. Yeah, it definitely can be. And this was a little view into that, I think, and, and how that stuff works. And, and by the way, Geo acting like this was such a big deal or being so salty about it is weird too. Cause it's really not, it's not like he had some giant mistake. It was a, a bad snap and clearly a miscommunication of some sort for everybody. So it's not like it was all on him. Right. And, and, and again, I go back to, you're probably not going to get a good answer out of him in that situation because what the Bengals recognized was that they were in a different formation and they Correct. probably don't want to broadcast that to everyone else across the, the country that when they get in that formation, that's what they're trying to do. So yeah. I understand but, them not saying anything. Trust me when I tell people on this podcast, trust me on this, the Bengals knew they right. knew a fake was coming. Geo knew they knew a fake was coming. He tried to call it off. This was coming in on the ask any, anything questions too. And I already had it as a topic, but the follow-up to that was, who were or are some of your favorite players to talk to in the locker room? Um, Ted Karras right now is the best. He's he's terrific. Mike Hilton's great. Um, trying to think in the past. Um, Tyler Boyd's usually good. He's been weird this year. He's been a little prickly this year, but you know, usually when you talk to him, he's really good. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot. It's funny. I and I and that doesn't sound like I, I, I don't have favorite guys. I have guys that can give you quotes. And you try to find them. Reggie Nelson was always a pro. I mean, one of my favorite Reggie moments ever was they lost a game in 2014 in New England. That was a really good Bengals team. And it was the whole primetime thing. And they went to New England and just got boat raced after a 3-0 start. And I walked up to Reggie. And Adam Jones was right next to him in the locker. I said, does this hurt more because you lost in primetime? And Pac-Man don't even turn around and goes, hell yeah, it do. <laughs> I just laugh. I just, I, I, I still laugh about this to this day. And then Reggie gave me great answers. He, you know, we talked for a little bit and he was great. Um, Pac-Man was still pretty good. I mean, Pac-Man no, was he, a great quote. 
Dude, the, the, when Pac-Man wanted to be engaging, that dude was funny as can be. I mean, that whole incident in Cleveland with the Terrell Pryor and the trash can still one of my favorite circumstances ever because I did. I walked up to him, and I, I was weird because I nobody else was talking to him at that point. I'm like, well, he'll be really good. So I said, you got a minute? He goes, I'm going to take a shower, and when I come out of the shower, I'm going to put on a show. He goes, I promise you. I said, okay. So I went, you know, did my other locker room stuff. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then when he did, he put on a show. So... um I, 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 and if you want to go back to my, my Kentucky days, um, Tayshawn Prince, I loved, uh, Keith Bogans. I loved Gerald Fitch. I loved that group was really good. Um, and, and it's different now cause they bring them out of the locker room back when I covered Kentucky in the early two thousands, those guys were always at their locker, um, after games and they were great. So yeah, I, I've got a handful of guys, but I don't, consider it favorites because you know i i just feel like i got a job to do they got a job to do you want to talk to me great if you don't fine great um we're both on different paths so i do i do appreciate pros especially after losses um that can stand there and take questions and like i said reggie was one of those guys that win or lose would take questions and just stand there like a man and i'm good with that um those those are the guys i whitworth obviously was great um yeah there's a handful of those guys yeah, I, I like the guys that make it easy to, you know, ask the questions and they'll give you an answer. But I really prefer the guys who will give you some type of quote. I no prefer question. the color without oh, no question. All right, Skinny. Pro Bowl teams were announced on Wednesday, and the Bengals had three players selected: Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Trey Hendrickson. Pretty much three no-brainers, I think. Yeah. Were there any Bengals players you thought might have a chance to be a Pro Bowler that didn't get chosen? So there's two. Um, Logan Wilson, I'm a big fan. I've been a big fan for a long time. I think he's, uh, I say that as a journalist, but I'm a big fan. I think he's a really good player. I think he's a heart and soul of that defense. And maybe the next guy I'll tell you is probably more of the heart and soul of that defense uh, was DJ Reader. And the one thing that sticks with me is BJ Hill. We had him on Zoom a couple of Mondays ago, not this past Monday, but the Monday before. And he was asked that question about DJ. And he made a great point. He's like, you know, when they do this, it's usually defensive tackles and DJ is more of a nose tackle and they really don't have that guy. And DJ doesn't do anything flashy or stat wise. But those two guys to me were clearly Pro Bowl players. Um, uh, you know, Chidubi Wuzi, I think would have been if he'd have been healthy, but he's not. So that's kind of a moot point. But those were the two guys to me that were snubs. But I get it. And I think BJ's right. And I think BJ and DJ both understand that He's playing a really he's playing a position that really doesn't get heralded at all. Um, DJ talked about this in the locker room the other day of he understands it too of listen, everybody in this locker room knows what I do. Everybody I play play against knows what I do. And I think that was a great quote. It wasn't conceited, it wasn't cocky. It was like, hey, you know what? I'm okay if this doesn't take place because he just plays such an unheralded spot. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And I think to some extent these guys don't care about that type of stuff. But then you see a video like came out of the Washington Commanders franchise where he's great. Ron it was Rivera. great. The, the, yeah, the special teams kid. The, it was great. It was a great video. Yes. Yeah. Telling a special teamer that he's going to be a pro bowler and the guy breaks down. His mother had passed away within the last year, it sounded like. So uh, just, you know, any it's just it is cool to see those. That it does mean something to these guys still. And so you'd like a guy like DJ Reader who's played so well to get that type of recognition. Do you think his injury cost him some? The fact probably that he missed some games? Yeah, probably a little bit. But I I, I also I, I think I agree with BJ Hill of he just plays such an unheralded position. I mean, remember we went gaga in the Cleveland game when he had five solo tackles right. and freed up Logan Wilson to get 17 tackles. He did that. 
How many people pay attention to that? Really? Sure. Yeah. It's not numbers. It's not sacks. You're exactly right. It's a position that is weird and you're not going to get the recognition for it. And you got to understand that. It sounds like he does. If if you're looking at the defensive tackles that made it from the AFC, it was Chris Jones from the Chiefs, Quinn Williams from the Jets, Jeffrey Simmons from the Titans. And they're all great. Those three guys are are stupid great. And no offense to to DJ Reader, they're pass rushers, they're pocket pushers, they're inside gap tackles. They're just it's a different defense for all those guys. So yeah, I I, I all those guys are great. But DJ Reader really is. He and Logan Wilson are the heart and soul of this defense. And for a defense that's done what they've done, one of them probably should have made it. Probably. I would tend to agree. All right, let's wrap up the Bengals segment with this. They will travel to Foxborough to take on the Patriots Saturday at 1 p.m. That's right, Saturday, Christmas Eve at 1 p.m. How much are injuries going to play a factor in this game for the Bengals? Where are we at? Because that's been a constant yeah. point of conversation over the last few weeks for us. Not as bad as you think. And, and today, Zach Taylor, this was our normal Friday where we get a chance to get Zach a little bit off to the side after practice, and he's pretty good about the injury updates. And it was pretty good sign. Trey Hendrickson's going to play. Um, probably on a pitch count because of the he's going to probably have that wrist you know, um, clubbed up how much you can do. Uh, Mike Hilton's going to play. Uh, Cam Taylor Britt's going to play. The 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 biggest question involves um, Jalen Davis and probably Hayden Hurst. Uh, and although Hayden, I think, is trending towards playing. So uh, it, it's way better. I mean, the only guy that was literally declared out is Sam Hubbard, which we already knew he was already declared out. He had a handful of guys that were questionable. I mean, hell, Trey's not even listed as questionable. Trey's good. Trey's good to go. So um, I think it's a better place than you would think. I would just hope they're on a pitch count. With the postseason in mind, even though, again, if you're trying to get the one seed and you should be trying to get that, it's not a matter of, boy, I hope you get the playoffs. You know, if Jacksonville wins the game tonight and they're up 13 to three as we're doing this podcast, the Bengals clinch a playoff berth. So it's not a matter of a playoff berth now. Now it's a matter of where you at seed wise. And um, as Zach said, you know, Trey came to him and said, I think I can give this a go. I'm going to give it a go. And it wasn't a matter of, uh, somebody asked, I can't remember who it was, might have been Paul Danner, but but I asked uh, about, uh, you know, did Sam Hubbard's injury change the situation for Trey? And he said, no, I don't think it did. He said, Trey came to me on, on you know, earlier in the week and said, hey, I think I'm okay. I, I want to give this a go. Let me see how it goes in practice. And obviously it went well enough to where he's going to play. And so you're in a pretty good spot. All right, let's switch gears here. We will come back and talk about our predictions for that game during our betting segment, but let's move on to college basketball, our wrap-up from the last week. Xavier beats Seton Hall 73-70 to on Tuesday night. Skinny, this Xavier team has found a little bit of momentum. They got off to a 2-0 start in Big East play. One of the wins was coming against Georgetown, which isn't much, but uh, a close win against Seton Hall on Tuesday night. After seeing them through the non-conference portion, and I think a lot of people look at this team and feel like they're playing better basketball than they were a year ago, and things are definitely moving in the right direction. But if you look at the overall record, it's not drastically different from where they were at in terms of success. In fact, uh, they had a very good non-conference record last year with only one loss. So I guess my question is, has what you've seen from Xavier changed your opinion or your prediction on what they're going to do in conference play this year? Um, I can't remember what I might have predicted, but I think this is the second best team in the conference. And yeah, I think we even, had them as no, third or fourth. 
Yeah, I think they're the second best team in the conference. UConn has separated itself. Um, they've just been so consistently good that I think they've completely separated themselves. I know Nova's playing better lately. Creighton's been a disappointment, but I think Xavier is the second best team in the conference. And that's a pretty good place to be. Um, they're going to score the ball on anybody. It's a matter of, you know, do you rebound? Do you defend? Um, can you get all the guys when in a game that matters on the same page? You know, Jack Nungy wasn't very good in this latest game, but Zach Freeman was great. And so um, I think you're starting to find roles. I think Sean's figured out what he wants from these guys. I do think he's got the trick up his sleeve. I do think at some point they're going to bust out a zone against somebody when they have to. It may not, he may have to swallow hard to do it, but they're going to bust out a zone against somebody and they're going to confuse, not confuse them, but they're going to, they're going to, hurt them with that zone and it's going to come back and get them wins. Uh, no, I, I think this is a really good team. Um, do they have holes? Yeah. You're playing two seven footers for goodness sakes. It's hard to guard man to man with two seven footers. It just is. Um, I Zach Freeman on six ten, but you know what I'm saying? Bottom line is I, I think it's just, it's a really good team. They're not as good as UConn, but that's okay. Cause UConn I think is, I mean, hell, they're number two in the country for goodness sakes. Right. I mean, UConn's been playing great basketball and that matchup on New Year's Eve will be an interesting one because UConn, you know, a lot of people were thinking they could be the number one team in the country when that game comes around. So we'll see. But the the thing about Xavier is they've played legit competition to this point. Their non-conference consisted of games against Indiana, Florida, Duke, Gonzaga, West Virginia. You can throw the Cincinnati game in there as well. So yeah, granted, they're only 2-0 and in the Big East, and one of those wins is against Georgetown, which doesn't mean much. But when you look at their Ken Palm numbers and you see they have the number seven offense in the entire country, that does mean something at it this does. point. They have faced good competition to get to that point as an offense, and they're 80th in defense. So they definitely have to get better on that end, and I don't know how much upside they have. But the, the fact that the offense the is key. playing as a truly elite offense, my, my – point about Xavier and how I feel like they'll do in the Big East has been this. I don't know that the, the what I expect has changed all that much. I think they're probably going to win around 11 or 12 games, if I had to guess, in Big East play. But the possibility of them potentially winning 13, 14 games is now much higher, in my yes. opinion. I yes. didn't think that was a possibility before the season started. Now I think it is possible that they win enough to do that. Agreed. I, I think it's a matter of what can Sean find out defensively or figure out defensively or swallow hard to go to zone defensively to make this work. Um, they are elite offensively, and it didn't take Ken Palm to, to, to tell you that, but it's you know that's a great backup number to go, okay, yeah, it's exactly what I'm looking at. Uh, you know, you look 79 against Indiana, 84 against Gonzaga, and I know those are not elite defensive teams. Don't get me wrong, but that's still – pretty good production. Um, the Duke game was the one outlier where we talked about the two bigs were just horrifyingly bad. I don't think both of them are going to be bad every game, and they've not been. Usually they're pretty good together. Um, this past game, like I said, Nunji wasn't good. Fremantle was great. Okay, that's fine, as long as one of them is really good. Because you you got enough perimeter guys that are going to be good on a, on a nightly basis around you that, that, that you're going to make up for that. Skinny Kentucky beat Florida AM 88 to 68. That game was on Wednesday night. Is that yeah, right? Good for the, yeah, good for them. <laughs> they will start SEC play on Wednesday, December 28th against Missouri. That game is at Missouri. Is there any reason to think Kentucky is turning a corner heading into SEC play? 
not even close. And I'll, I'll give Cal this. He changed the lineup. He put Ware in the starting lineup, and that was, you know, topping out, and that's all well and good. But they're still a train wreck. I mean, they just, you know, Florida A&M cut that game to seven points in the second half. I mean, how does that happen? They're they're just they're a mess offensively, uh, I, and I don't know how it changes. I just don't. It feel again. This feels like so much Groundhog Day all over again for the forty third time in his tenure. That here we are going. Where's this team at? I, I don't know how they turn the corner. Well, let me ask you this. We've talked about severe Wheeler being a bit of an issue for them and and their offense not running as well when he's running the point guard position. They did something in the second half of this Florida A&M game when they made that run and took over the game and pulled away, which was they moved Cason Wallace to that point guard position. He had 20 points on 8-11 shooting, played pretty much the entire second half. Is that potentially something that could give them a boost here going into SEC play? It could, um, but at the same time, it was a first-team preseason All-SEC selection, right? And he's a talented kid. He just doesn't fit this mix, and that's where Cal's at with this. It feels like he's just grabbing any talented guy he can and going, I'll make it work. No, you can't. And Severe Wheeler, I think, bogs this offense down, despite the fact that he's a good player. He's a really good player. He just doesn't fit this mix. Let me throw something at you. What do we always say a team needs to do in terms of their Ken Palm efficiency numbers to be a final four team? You got to be top 20, probably in both offense or defense, or at the very least top five in one or the other. And I know where you're going with this because they're elite in one area. Well, not, not necessarily that, but you look at their offense, 23rd in the country. You look at their defense, 13th in the country. Now the results aren't what UK fans want. They don't want to lose all their marquee games. I mean, I don't know if you want to consider Michigan a marquee game this I year. I don't, but, they, but, it, but it was a good they win. They did win I, then that I by I can't four. crap on that win. It's a good win. Can't crap on the win. It's a good right. win. It's not a marquee win, but yes. But they lose to Michigan State. They lose to Gonzaga. They lose to UCLA. I understand that's frustrating. But when you look at the efficiency numbers and the fact that they're ninth overall in Ken Palm, and I'm not yep. saying no, they are. you agree with that or you believe that or what have you, but – does it suggest that maybe this team is better than what the eye test is telling us right now? Yes, because there is a lot of talent and there's a lot of individual talent. It just doesn't seem to gel the way it should gel. Um, You know, maybe this last game is a great step in the right direction. Reeves made some shots. Frederick made some shots. You mentioned Cason Wallace was great. Chris Livingston was great in the, in the UCLA game. Shibway is the reigning player of the year for goodness sakes. Uh, and maybe taking topping off the floor, he'll maybe taking where I, I said this before, go to a, go to Casey Wallace, three shooters in, in Shibway and crunch time. I think you got something on offense. I'm good with that. I was the one who brought up the Florida A&M game and how much you should take from it. But I will also show the other side of it, that uh, Florida A&M is ranked 357 out of 363 yes. and one teams in Ken Palm. So they are a very poor opponent. And, and I don't know how much you can really take from that game. But Kentucky was a 38 and a half point favorite and never threatened that number. Yeah, they won by 20. And like you said, it was a struggle to get to that 20 point spread. So we will see what happens when they tip off SEC play on Wednesday. NKU fell to FAU, Florida Atlantic, by 15 points on the road on Wednesday night. Skinny, what do you take from NKU's non-conference schedule at this point? They finished 7-6. and six. They have the big win against Cincinnati. They Well, I say non-conference schedule, but they've actually already played those two, two conference two games, games yeah, where right. they got off to a 2-0 start, including a win over a team that a lot 
of people believe is the best team in the conference in Youngstown State, and their Ken Palm numbers would agree with that. They also have a win over Eastern Kentucky and a couple of hard-fought wins at home. What do you make of the, the schedule at this point and what they've done? Yeah, I mean, the, the tournament you guys went to, and, and I say you guys because for those that may not know, hopefully they do know, Rick is the color analyst for for um, for NKU games, um, was disappointing. Uh, but, you know, Toledo's pretty good. Uh, the team they just played for Atlantic, as you know, is really good, actually. Go look at their Ken Palm numbers. Yeah, they're not, 41st not, in the country. I say I'm not telling you that. I'm telling people that are listening that they're they're pretty darn good. Um, you know, the UC win is a nice win just because of the emotion of the moment, the crowd, all those things that you want to have through it. Uh, I, you know, the fact that they went five and six technically non-league. Now they had layups with the Miami hyphen Hamilton's Middletowns, wherever held the, you know, Fairfields, wherever all you the see Miami, Claremont, you see, yeah, they had those hyphenated wins. Um, but the fact that they played a, in theory at, at their level, a really good non-league schedule, um, Eastern's probably the worst of that lot. And they're, they're a nice little team that I think will compete in the OVC very nicely. Um, I, I think in the league, the fact that they're two and zero shows you that they are really good inside that league. So the non-con hopefully gets you ready for different styles of play. You can look up and go, we're not going to play better than Cincinnati, and we're not going to play better than FAU, and we may not play better than Toledo. So we've played some really good teams at this point, and so let's go. And Gulf and I, Coast, I forgot Gulf Coast. Yeah, Florida Gulf Coast was pretty good too. They're one thirty and Ken yeah. Bomb and. You know, the Youngstown State game, which, again, is, is a team that a lot of people believe is the best team in the Horizon League this year. There are a couple different outlets that picked them to win it. I didn't think NKU played particularly well in that game, and it went into double overtime before they eventually won it. But I think there's still a lot of upside for this team, and yet they got that win and they are 2-0 in conference play. And I think the one thing that I've kind of taken away from playing a more difficult non-conference schedule that they have in years past since I've been calling the games is seeing them go up against some bigger, stronger, more athletic guys has definitely, you know, kind of made you realize the the gap in between certain conferences and the level yeah. of player that's being recruited to those. Like NKU's guys finished off shots, made better moves, got to the lane and the rim more easily against Youngstown State and Robert Morris. When you've watched you know, a guy like Marquez Warwick, who's been fantastic all non-conference this point, or Sam Vinson, who has struggled to get their shots at times or not finish shots that you feel like normally they would make. I think a lot of those have come against the teams with a longer, more athletic wing guarding them or a real shot blocker who's seven foot one like Florida Atlantic had at the basket. I think that's given them some trouble, but it's also tested them and, and kind of got them acclimated to a higher level of play. So I do think it's been good for them, and I'm anxious to see what they do in Horizon League play. They start back with Horizon League play on Thursday against Wright State at home. So that's going to be a big game to, to get things going again. And Wright State's playing better. Yeah, they're starting to figure it out. They beat Miami of Ohio tonight as we're recording this on Thursday night, 88 to 80. Miami, Ohio is not very good, No, but, uh, still. but this was a right state team that had lost four in a row and, and five of six at one point. So they, they are in theory getting back on track. They beat Northwestern Ohio, which is a non-division one team by 150 points and they beat <laughs> Miami of Ohio by eight. So we'll, we'll see what happens on Thursday, but I'm definitely interested to see NKU back to a conference where they have the bigger, more athletic players for the most part. I'm with you. I, I think they'll be fine. All right, Skinny. Also, 
wanted to talk about Cincinnati. They beat Detroit Mercy 72 to 54 on Wednesday night. And I think the Cincinnati team is, is kind of, they're a little bit difficult to figure out because they've shown some signs of life on the offensive end at times throughout their non-conference season. But it's also a team that had just 11 points in the second half against NKU, and they've gotten really bogged down on that side at times. What do you make of this UC team on the offensive end heading into conference play? They currently stand at 57th in the country in terms of their offensive efficiency number on Ken Palm. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a fair question that I honestly can't get the answer to. The one thing I will say is this, Rick, and if we include NKU in this category of being an NCAA tournament level team, and I say that because they've got a legit chance to win the Horizon League, right? Their, five, their four losses are to NKU, Arizona, which is definitively – an NCAA tournament team, Ohio State, which is definitively an NCAA tournament team, and Xavier, which is definitively an NCAA tournament team. Um, you know, they've kind of been tested. They haven't passed all the tests, obviously. The Ohio State loss was ugly. The NKU loss was ugly. The Arizona loss was goofy the way it played out. And obviously, Xavier, they came back from a big deficit to make it a game. But now when we look inside the league, they got a chance to win a bunch of games. The, the one thing I, I I don't know is, does it even matter? Because I, I just don't know if they can do enough resume-wise to put themselves in contention to make an NCAA tournament bid. I think that's right. I think they've already screwed themselves in terms of an NCAA tournament. There's just, if the, if there's even boring, a chance boring, of it. Boring, boring, at least, boring at least a win over Houston, either at home or on the road. What, well, I, I, I disagree. I think you have to beat Houston on the road to even have a chance. Maybe, and and, and maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, I just don't know that there's enough there, period, in the AAC. But even if there is, there's absolutely zero wiggle room. It requires winning basically all of your big games. And I just think that's probably unlikely with this group, especially against Houston. So it it is really difficult because you look at the losses, and like you pointed out, none of them are bad losses. Uh, Other than than NKU at home. but Yeah, the NKU one people aren't going to be happy about, but... You know, it's a game on the road with a team playing for basically their Super Bowl at that point. I mean, it's it's a tough game to go play. Yeah. And, and they might be an NCAA tournament. Like I said, they might be an NCAA tournament team, right? So, I mean, right. we're literally looking at four NCAA tournament teams. And all, But then on the flip side, what's the best win? Like, if you look at it, you go by Ken Palm, it's Bryant. But Bryant had like six players out, including yes. most of their best ones in that game. So that wasn't ever going to be close. I mean, well, I'd, I'd sure like to say Louisville, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd think, but I mean, they're 256 in Ken Palm. They won that game by 19. It's probably either an 11-point win over Cleveland State, who's 220 in Ken yeah, Palm. Yeah, it's just ugly. Yeah, or the win they just had over to Detroit Mercy, 7254, yeah, which is 206 in Ken Palm. And, and, and you know, Detroit yeah. Mercy hasn't exactly right. no, been not, good to this point. They're 5-8. and eight. Yeah, they've not done enough. That's the thing. They just have not done enough. But that said, I that's what I'm trying to figure out is – it. Where is UC? They feel like they're kind of in the complete unknown, right? Where you're not good enough to beat NCAA tournament teams, but you're better than most. Yeah, the the Arizona game is the one that really weirds me out because they scored 93 points in that game and they shot it so well. I know a lot of that was Landers Nolly throwing yeah, nine threes and having 33. He, he went crazy. But Victor Locken scored a decent amount in that game. And overall, they were just scoring with such ease in the second half. But at the same time, it didn't happen until Arizona already had a huge lead and was playing fairly carefree. So it's like, do you, do you take that second half performance seriously or not? I, I don't know exactly how I rank it. And I don't know what it means. For I don't. I swear to God, I, I hate yeah, I hate to be it. That looked like I literally watched the whole second half of that game. That looked like the most glorified pickup game in the history of glorified pickup games. It really did. 
That's fair. And Arizona games can have a tendency to do that in general, just with that style they play where they'll throw the ball up the court and run with anybody. And if they're scoring, they're kind of happy to be doing that. But I don't know what it means for UC heading into the AAC. I'd like to think they have a better group than they did last year, and they're starting to figure some things out on offense. But I'm not exactly how you interpret what happened in their non-conference. Yeah, no, I can't. All right, let's switch gears here one more time. Talk about the Reds real quick. That's right. That's right. We had somebody ask and ask any anything last week. What, what if we were just done talking about the Reds? Well, <laughs> they gave us something to talk about. Kind of. They, they, kind they of made did. their first notable moves of the offseason. Will Myers, a first baseman and outfielder, signed a one-year contract for seven point five million through the twenty twenty three season with a mutual option for twenty twenty four. Also, hello Tommy, is, fam. hello Tommy Fam. <laughs> Right. And this is the big news here. Mike Moustakis, who signed the largest free agent deal in Cincinnati Reds history, was designated for assignment Thursday with one year and $22 million remaining on his deal. They DFA'd Moustakis to make room on the 40-man roster for veteran catcher Kurt Casale, who was with the team from 2018 to 2020. Casale signed a one-year deal worth $3.25 million. What did you think of the Reds' move, Skinny? Uh, uh Hang on. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, the thing that made me wonder this, this is what I wondered, right? So they've got Casale, Luke Maley, yep. and Tyler Stevens. And you got Will Myers, yep. who can play a little outfield, but he's a first baseman primarily. Not primarily, but he plays first base. Are they going to eat Joey Votto's contract? That's what oh. I wondered. That's I thought I you were going with the is Stevenson moving out from behind the plate. That no, that's my point. No, that kind of that's my point. They're gonna eat Joey Votto's contract to move Stevenson out from behind the plate. And you know, he DHs some, catches a little, um, plays first base a bunch. Myers DHs a little, plays a little left field, maybe on occasion, DHs a bunch. It just feels like where does Joey Votto now fit in this equation, right? You have to feel like the three catchers thing is kind of weird. It is weird. I mean, because it's not like the third catcher is just a total no-namer, bringing him in to, to catch some extra pitchers during spring training type of guy. I mean, these are three fairly legitimate players that you went out and got on purpose. Yeah, and that's, that's why I go back to, or, or where are we at with the Joey Votto? I mean, the fact, I'll give him this. Listen, I, I've, I've talked to a couple of people that, that cover the Reds, and, and I've said, you, you've just got to eat Mustakas' contract. It's sunk money at this point. And they they had to do it. And, and that's what they had. That's what they did what they had to do. Um, it, I mean, that contract was horrifyingly bad in retrospect. Um, but yeah, it, it, so then it makes me wonder, have you got to the point where you just decided we're going to eat money that we just don't care about because it doesn't matter? Um, I'm, I'm really curious about, I don't think they do that with Votto. I don't. At this point in time, is he a left-handed DH against right-handed pitching only? I mean, where are we at with the guy? It's a good question. It's a fair question. And I get the sense that they're not going to just eat his contract. No, I'm with you. I think that's probably right. I'm just thinking out way outside the box here, and I know I am, and I'm usually on an island by myself with this kind of stuff. But it just it struck me as odd as you've got – Three catchers, one who's played first base in Stevenson. You just signed a guy who's played a lot of first base. And no offense, you've got other guys on this team that can play first base. And maybe that means you're, you are ready to move Vado to full-time DH. Okay, that 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 seems okay against right-handed pitching in theory. But at what point do you go, the guy gives you nothing anymore, he's too old, and let's just eat it. I don't think that's going to happen, but it does signal to me that maybe they're considering a reduced role for Vado finally. 
25 mil, though, really? At that point, at, at the reduced one, at what point do you just go, let's just eat it? That'd be nice. I just don't see them doing that. I, I They've cared too much about fan and public opinion in the past for them to just now be like, yeah, we're throwing Joey Votto by the wayside. I, I can't see them doing that. Or, yeah, may, or maybe you t- talk the guy into go waiver no trade clause. We'll pay you the 20 mil. Get whatever team you're going to pays the other five mil. It's not a bad thought. I still just think that they're going to ride this out with I Votto right. because they're no, not I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I, again, I'm, I'm way outside the box with this, so I do, I, I'm with you on that. I do think you're right, but um, it just was interesting to me of so where does Joey Votto fit into this equation? Is a left-handed DH? Oh, okay, sure. Let's go with that. Did you just like rub your breast up on the microphone or what happened? No, I, 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 I actually had to get something off my screen. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. I was just curious about what was going I on. Know, I thought I, maybe you were getting I, excited. I, did, I, did, a, I didn't know that that was going to come across. It's like a sound. 4D podcast now. Sorry I can about feel that. it, hear it. Yeah. Sorry, people. Um, the Reds have spent about $33 million less than they spent heading into last year's skinny at this point, but it doesn't seem like they're trying to add a whole lot more. In fact, Nick Cross said something to the effect of they'd have to get creative to find more money, uh, according to C. Trent Rosecrans. Report. Yeah, well, I got to get creative to go watch your ass play, guy. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Uh, I, I was. I think we were already past that point, right? Neither one of us made it out last year, did we? No, I, I made it out for one game. I, I made it out when I had a free sweet ticket for a game, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the beer. I do like free sweets. I like free courtside seats, and I like free sweets. Yep. All right, Skinny, let's get to our betting segment here. Last week, I was 2-2. Two and two. We had the UC-Louisville Bowl game, which was a disaster. Why? This it fed right into the conversation that we had before the game on, on last week's podcast. These bowl games are completely irrelevant at this point. Why play? Yeah. yeah, but you know what? We do because we're degenerates. Everybody's a degenerate, so we're good with it. Yeah, and I obviously did not do well in that game. You went 1-1. One and one. We finished... I was two and two. You were one and three for the week. The other game, of course, was the Bengals game. That brings our overall records to 51, 47, and one for me, 45, 53, and one for wow. you. You it's mentioned, I think, four or five weeks ago that you were going to turn it around the rest of the way. Yes. You were going to be in the black. That has not gone the way you said it. It's was. funny, dude. I'm in, a, I'm in a picks league at college, and we don't pick every game. You pick he, The guy sends his selections for 12 college games and all the NFL games. I'm in first place in that. I got a chance to win almost a grand in that league. That's the beauty of this podcast. You don't get I to know. bet on any of the games that you like to bet on. Correct. You I just, just have, to, have I, to give I, a pick. I have to give a pick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, a, it's a terrible way to do a betting segment. It but is. That's what we do. But, but it's what we do. I'm good with it. I Trust me, I'm, I'm okay with it. All right, Bengals are a three-point favorite in New England this week. The total is 41 and a half. All right, I'm going to take the under um, yes. just because because it's going to – actually, the weather's actually going to be nice in New England. It's sunny and like 35 or 25 no, I think 40, maybe even 40, I think. Oh, okay. But it's a, good, it's a good New England defense. I think this is one of those games, kind of like the Denver game last year, where it's just ugly because that's just the way it's going to have to be. Um, so, you know what? Much like the Denver game last year, I'm going to go Bengals 15, New England 10. All right. Bengals and under for skinny 15 to 10. You're going way under. I'm on the same sides as you. I like the Bengals and the under two. I'm going a little bit higher scoring, but not a whole lot. I'm going 21, 17 Bengals. And the Bengals streak right now is up to six straight in terms they're, of covering the spread. They're good at covering, man. Yeah, they're they've been one of the best in the NFL. And, and this, you know, the Patriots have covered just once in their last four games. And if you're looking at, the, the total Patriots 
have had two overs in their last seven. The other five have gone under, and we've talked about the Bengals being a pretty heavy under team, even though last week's game finally went over again. So uh, both of us are on Bengals and under. Not going to create any separation with this week's Pick'em segment, but there you have it. I I do have a best bet. Give it to me. And I feel bad because no one's going to be able to get out on Friday to bet this game. I love this game. I'm going to probably be so rationally crazy about this game. Wake Forest is laying two to Missouri tomorrow. Missouri's had a ton of opt-out guys. Wake has has their quarterback, Sam Hartman, playing. I think Wake kicks their ass by 20 points. I just do. And they're only laying two. Again, I'm probably completely irrational. I love it. I'm all in on that. Well, you know what the beauty of this is? You say people won't be able to get out there. Hopefully, we have some listeners in Indiana. I'm not sure how many there are, but... (laughs) <laughs> Next week, Skinny, we will be doing it because there's been a couple people that asked us for Ask Skinny Anything segments to do a brief betting breakdown for newbies because oh, we'll yeah. go live January we'll 1st in yeah. Ohio. Great call. By the way, Rick, and, all those, and we'll probably touch on this next week. Have you jumped into any of the free bet stuff yet that, 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 that's been offered? I have not, and I need to do that. I need to sign up for a bunch of stuff to get the free bets. Well, the, unfortunately, I've done a lot of them over in Indiana already, so I'm not going to ah. get them in Ohio. But, okay, I've not done But yes, that. I've taken advantage of them, and they are great. You definitely need to make sure. No, you you're right. right. We'll talk more about that next week, too, when we do our okay. little betting. Perfect. Jot, jot that down. Let's talk about it. That's a great call. All right. Time for some Ask Any Anything. We'll start with a sports question. For each of the AFC's big three, what potential wildcard game matchup might be the biggest upset risk? Assuming possible teams are Titans, Dolphins, Jets, Jags, Ravens, Patriots, and Chargers. Yeah, I think any game involving the Dolphins, uh, that that offense is so dynamic when everything is right. I wouldn't want to play them. They're, they're, I've talked about this with guys that cover the Bengals. They disagree with me on it. And that's fine. I just think when when they are right um, and healthy and in the right weather environment, I don't want to play them. I just don't. I know they're going to have to go on the road, so they're probably not going to be in the right weather environment. But, man, they scare the crap out of me. I'm telling you who I don't want to see. Jacksonville. Trevor yeah. Lawrence is starting yeah. to figure this thing out. I think they stink yeah. overall, but yeah. I don't want to play a potentially elite quarterback who's starting to figure it out at the end of the year. I'm, 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 that's a fair point, um, but uh, uh, they're, they're not there yet. They're, they're cute, and they might get there, and they might not get there. And if they don't get there, Tennessee sucks. So, um, eh, But if you, list, just- if you list all those teams out, Skinny, aside from the Chargers, Trevor Lawrence is the most talented quarterback for any of those teams. Maybe you'll nah, say Lamar. I'm a, I'm a big Tua fan. I hate to oh, be that. Oh, no way. No way. I'm a way. huge Tua fan. Dude, in that offense. No way. I mean, honestly, their offense did plenty in Buffalo. It was their defense that let them down. I like Tua, but there's no comparison in terms of talent. Oh, I'm, Trevor Lawrence Trevor Lawrence makes big mistakes. Mm, he's starting to cut those down. He's starting to he figure is. things out. He I'm telling in- you, watch out. Now, the Jaguars still Think overall, I think most of the players around them aren't all that good, but they're they're not terrible. No, I know. I mean, dude, they're they're literally going to at the rate this is going win that damn division. Right. What are Skinny's thoughts on St. Henry starting varsity football in 2026? Now we're getting to the real questions. Yeah, it's a guy. I, I, I mean, good for them, eh? Um, you know, Boone County does not have a Catholic school, and while they're t- it's weird, they're technically listed as an Erlanger address. They are in Boone County. Um, so Boone County has four public high schools. For those that may not know, it's it's Cooper, Connor, Boone County, and Ryle, but they don't have a Catholic high school, and so. 
uh, kids who want to play Catholic high school football. And there's some that play public school going up and then go to a Catholic school. It's it's Holy Cross and um, and well, Cove Catholic. Mostly Covenant Catholic. Yeah, they're good. If it's independent, yeah, if it's independent, they might go to Beechwood. But um, I, I think St. Henry has probably figured this out. You know, Bishop Rossert um, started football. It didn't go well for them for a couple of years over in Campbell County. And now they're great. They're small schools. St. Henry's going to be small. They might be in with Beechwood. They might be a class lower. They're probably in with Beechwood. I think they're actually, their enrollment's probably very comparable. Um, that may not end well for them when it comes to the postseason, but you know they they probably have a chance to compete. So yeah, I, I'm 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 happy for them. They it was funny when they built that field, um, and it's, it was a soccer field with grass, and they just uh, this past summer put it into turf and lined it as a football field. The whole thing was ah, we're just doing this to get peewee teams to pay money to come play. No, you weren't. You knew what you're doing. That's fine. Good for them. I I root for them. I hope it works out. All right. Are there any positives about being stuck in an airport? says currently delayed in CVG and trying to look at it as glass half full. This was just sent to me like two hours ago as I was landing in CVG, actually. I mean, dude, one of my favorite thing in the airport, and it's going to cost you, I don't mind layovers. I don't mind delays. I don't mind if they tell me that I'm going to buy your ticket out and you can fly out six hours later. There ain't nothing like the airport bar when you got nowhere to go. There's just not. I'm sorry. That's the perfect that's the perfect thing in my lifetime is a couple of times where I've just sat there. You don't get completely sloshed, mind you, but it's, you got your relax. Where, where are you going to go? No one's calling on you to go do work. You don't have to do anything in the yard. You don't got to shovel snow. You're in the airport, man. You got yourself. You're responsible for yourself. You don't have to drive. Um, you know, you might have to drive when you get back home, like the Tennessee Titans coach. You know, hopefully somebody picks mm-hmm. you up if you're slot. But, Not dude, the, there's nothing like the airport bar, in my opinion. It's my favorite place. It might be my favorite bar ever, no matter what the bar is. I can, I will agree with you on that. I love a good airport bar. The other thing about it, it it's a little bit different if you're like on the way out to go do something yes. versus trying to get home. Yes, when you're trying yeah. to get home, it just sucks. It does suck. You're but right. when you're on your way somewhere, it's like, you know, especially like, the situation I was in where it's, it's going to be basically a work trip. You're going to call a college basketball game. You're going to have a, a day off beforehand anyways. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally fine with a good layover. Sometimes it might be the best restaurants you're going to find on a trip like that too. If your hotel's not in a good area, yeah. like we don't always have a rented car where we can drive around. So it's like, you're just kind of at the mercy of what's right by your hotel. So yeah, usually you can find good food in a, in a uh, airport. You can post up and work and just do focused work because there's nowhere else to go and nothing oh, else yeah, to exactly. do. No, I, and, I've done that too. Absolutely. And an airport bar. So I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, the laptop, and there's usually a, a, a place to plug in, and you're good to go. I mean, play games if you need to play games. No, it's perfect. I love the airport bar. What is Skinny's favorite Christmas gift? That I've ever gotten or given or just in general? I would assume that you've gotten, but you can answer however you want. Well, it wasn't my favorite gift. It was the most unique gift my aunt, who was eclectic, she was a realtor, and she was a successful realtor for West Shell, which was a big real estate company back in the day. Um, she once got me when I was, I was either a senior in high school or a freshman in college. She she got me beer flavored toothpaste. That sounds disgusting. It was not. It was weirdly good. <laughs> <laughs> so again, she was very eclectic. She dressed eclectically. She was great people. She. And very successful in what she did, but she was quite, she was that aunt where you're like, that's, that's the crazy aunt. She wasn't even a crazy aunt. Um, 
they were very, she and her husband, her husband was a longtime MC in this marketplace. He emceed a bunch of events, uh, was very good at it. And I always admired, I listened to some of his stuff and I've emceed events and I've thought, man, I wish I could ever be as good as he is. Cause he's really good at it or was really good at it. They both passed away, but she was, uh, she gave eclectic gifts. And that was one that year where I went, I looked at it, I went, Oh, thank you. And then I went and tasted it. I'm like, Oh, not so bad. Yeah, your wife found you later that night just spraying <laughs> toothpaste into your mouth from exactly. about three feet above it. Exactly. This is so good. <laughs> You're not supposed to eat that, sir. Yeah, no. Um, it's funny, dude. I am I'm just not a big Christmas gift guy. I'm pretty basic. Get me the socks and the underwear and a couple slacks and a pullover or two. I'm I don't have in fact this year, this is no lie, dude. I asked for four hubcaps because my Nice. Camry's lost some hubcaps. And so I said, honestly, I, I went to hubcaps.com. You can get me four hubcaps for 160 bucks, and that'll be great. That's a perfect gift. You can do it as a whole group. The two girls and the wife, you guys can do it as a whole group. I'm good with it. Nice. You've got it all figured out, made it easy on them. I did. I tried. So I, How about I, you? I, you, get, you got one? Uh, I, I don't. I can't, nothing comes to mind that was ever like a great guy. You know how I feel. I'm not really a big get into the spirit of Christmas and get, I like Christmas. I like Christmas, but I, yeah, I don't, it's like, I don't mind it either. I just don't really like the whole presence thing. And like, yeah, I'm not know, a big, just, I'm not big into it either. I, I, I like the family moments and the friends moments and being around the people that I enjoy being around. I just, the rest of it's just pomp and circumstance to me that I just don't, you know, I do like they get me a bag of peanut M&Ms every year for Christmas and that's great. And that's in the stocking and yeah, okay. I'm good with that. And and I don't I'm like getting asked what wash. I want for Christmas. Yeah, I don't either. I, nobody asks me anymore because they realize I don't care. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. Because I, I did. I got asked this year, what do you want? I said, four hubcaps. And they, they all laugh. And they're, like, they're like, no. I said, no, seriously, four hubcaps. If not, I'll buy them myself. I, I have my own money. I can go buy my hubcaps. But I'm at the stage where I'm either going to buy them or that can be the gift that you give me. Just give me a choice. Shout out to our new sponsor, hubcaps.org. Hubcaps.com. Hubcaps.com. Hubcaps. All right. Well, they're not actually paying us, so we can get it wrong. That's a good point. Yeah, that's good point. Uh, good. And finally, we'll wrap it up with this, Kenny. What is the best Christmas movie? Yeah, we've talked about this a lot. Um, I'm a big elf guy. I'm a big Christmas vacation guy. I know we've talked about whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. Um, I will say that um, – it's and it, the the movie differs because it's I think the original movie was called Holiday Inn that it was in but but White Christmas slash Holiday Inn with Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye is pretty damn good. I know well, you've not. I I'm going to take not, your word for that. I was going to say I know you've not seen it, correct? Yeah, nor will I either. And I, I'm going to guess you. I'm, I'm going to guess you've not seen Jimmy Stewart. It's a Wonderful Life either, correct? I've seen It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. The black okay, and white right. one, yeah. Yeah, it's yep. wonderful. Life's good too. It's up there. It's yeah, up it's there. Yeah, it's wonderful. Life is good. It's that's very good actually. I'm and not... uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth. Do you know yes. uh, who is it? Seth Davis that always live tweets. It's a wonderful life. One of the goofy broadcasters does, and that kind of made me annoyed and, and made me stop yeah. liking. It's a wonderful yeah. life, but it's a good movie. I will tell you the other one. Peanuts Christmas is damn good. It's only thirty minutes, but it's pretty damn good. All right, Peanuts Christmas. Uh, I'm an elf guy. I, I would lean elf. I would say. I mean, the, the, and they've showed trailers for here lately where he just screams about Santa coming. Just make every time it's on, it's the trailer. And I know it's what's coming. I, I laugh every time. Yeah. He's, Will Ferrell is so good in that role. That's the perfect role for him when he gets to completely dive into it and just become like a little kid, basically. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know why, but Zoe Deschanel's voice just melts me. 
like her singing voice? Just just her voice in general. Oh, okay. I thought you were referring to the shower scene when she's singing yeah. and he's like well, in there with her. Yeah, that, that, that's a good call too. But yeah, just, I, I like her voice. All right. Good um, to know. Bad Santa's not bad either. Where um <laughs> with Billy Bob and uh what's her name? And I think she Lauren Graham, um, where she's saying some things that we can't say on this podcast is a pretty good scene. I'll say this, you're you're shockingly good at knowing actors and actresses' names for a guy who like doesn't that? watch any movies and doesn't care about any pop culture stuff, really. There we go. How about that? Yeah. Shout out to me. Shout out to you. Shout out to our sponsor, hubcaps.com. Get exactly. your hubcaps at hubcaps.com. Buy everybody a Christmas gift. And that's all we got. Exactly. Rick, thanks very much. Hey, have a great uh, holiday. We will actually, I think, be back before the holiday. We're going to have our Bengals post-game podcast right after the game on Saturday. I'm going to guess most of you guys will be with friends and family, and I hope you are. But if you want to carve out some time that night or the next day to hear what Rick and I have to say, we would certainly appreciate that. Everybody have a great Christmas, great holiday. Uh, We'll be back with this podcast one week from today. We'll be back with our Bengals podcast after the game on Saturday. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.